Hey there, are you sick and tired of feeling sick and tired? Join Adol Kozilski and Fagy Stern as they explore ways to reverse chronic illness and achieve vibrant health. Your health is your only wealth and together we can be better. Hashtag Healthy You, Wealthy You. And it's a beautiful good morning in Johannesburg. I am Adol Kozilski and I'm again sitting in the driver's seat with my co-host, Faggy. Good morning. How are you, Faggy? Good morning, Adel. Very well, thank you. How are you? I'm, thank God, very, very, very well. We're very excited to bring back onto the show today, Richard Sutton. We've had him before a couple of times, and we are going to continue our narrative um, on how um, our genetics and all the molecules that uh, curse through our body have an incredible effect on ourselves physically, emotionally, Mentally, as everybody knows, Richard Sutton is an advisor on stress management and adaptability. And uh, he speaks to big people, industry leaders, top athletes, Olympic teams. And he is an expert in the field of genetics and their role in resilience. In the past couple of shows, we've been talking about oxytocin and how that affects us. And we've been trying to come very close to uh, discussing the idea of BDNF which I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by that. I want to learn a lot about it, and uh, it gives me great pleasure, Richard, uh, for you to come back and help us with this BDNF story. Uh, good morning, and thanks for having me on the show, and, and thank you for indulging me in, in my passion and one of my favorite topics. Okay, we, when we were speaking yesterday in preparation for the show, you were telling us that BDNF actually has a personal you have a personal connection with you're very intimate with it maybe let's start you know for a couple of minutes before we go to a break for you just to give you know your personal background as to what brought you to understand the workings of bdnf yeah so as as you mentioned there's there's something very close to to me uh, to my heart and to my my story with this molecule and and hearts been very influential in constructing my life's narrative when I when I was at school, um, I had a very very challenging time. I struggled to read. I struggled with every subject, uh, with bar one or two. Um, it concentration was an issue. Uh, retention of information uh, was challenging, and also I had quite a quite a difficult um, home life at the time as well. Uh, we had tremendous financial pressure um, at home and. Moved a lot. I think I was at seven different schools. You know, everyone asked me what school I go to, I went to, and I, I kind of say, well, which part of schooling? And mm-hmm. moved around a lot, and and it it was quite unsettling. It's not the perfect environment for education and and childhood development. And um, what happened was uh, around the age of you know, thirteen or fourteen, I had to start working at night. So I went to school in the days and I worked in restaurants at night. I looked a little bit older for my age. I think all the stress of <laughs> the circumstances had aged me a little bit. Um, but yeah, so I started working at night and this was pretty much five to six days a week. Um, and, and that was, that was my, my reality until I, I finished school at, at 18. But there was this, this constant, um, kind of school to work, school to work and everything suffered. I didn't sleep very much. I probably still struggle with sleep because of that period. 
Um, but I got to a point where I felt that my, from an academic standpoint, I, it wasn't my strength. I, I struggled to read books. In fact, I didn't read any books in that other than set works uh, or what I had to read. And if I could find a summary, I'd read the summary. Um, and I struggled with reading the summary. And I scraped through school. When I, when I say I scraped through school, I really just got through school. And in those days, we could. Um, there were more opportunities and the pressures were a little bit less. And the, the weight on one's shoulders um, as, as a scholar was vastly different to today. But now... Now I've got into a, a situation where if I finish school and I don't really know what I want to study. And, and also, you know, from an academic standpoint, I don't have the luxury of studying anything I wanted to. Um, and I ha- there was national service at the time. We were looking at uh, the early 90s. And I thought that, you know, I'm, I was scheduled to be in the April intake and I would go to the U.S. and I would just spend a little bit of time with family members, uh, travel around, just just get a sense of what it's like to be in a, a foreign country, and that's exactly what I did. Can and, can can we yes, hold yes. that thought? We're just going to go for a little bit of a break, and we'll continue the narrative shortly. This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show with Adol Kasilski and Fagy Stern. Welcome back. We're talking to Richard Sutton and we are going to be understanding a very interesting molecule. If you'd like to join the conversation, you have a question for Richard or a comment to us. 34519 is the SMS line 0806189510019. Our telegram number. So Richard, you're about to go into the army. Yes. So I've got, I've just kind of scraped through school. I've now committed most of my days and nights to kind of just surviving. I haven't been very active. I haven't exercised and participated in sport much. Um, due to the demands on me academically, I, I was completely underperforming. And one's confidence, as one would expect, was, was pretty low and one had a tremendous I had a, a tremendous doubt in terms of my future, the doubt in terms of potential, um, and, and really was like grappling with a lot of things uh, from an emotional standpoint. So now I, I take this opportunity, I go to the U.S., spend three months in the U.S. with different family members, and, and kind of it gets into a, a situation where in the States you need a, a car and you need um, to be over 21 to go anywhere. And I end up spending most of, of the three months watching TV and, and eating junk food and in the back of my mind, I'm realizing that I've got this national service thing coming up, but my my whole belief system is that I'll get fit in the Army, I'll get fit in the Navy. I was actually drafted to the Navy, and and that'll be it. So there's no need to, to really prepare or really uh, engage in, in exercise in, in, in lieu of the, the pending um, drafting. So after the, the three months um, are finished, uh, I come back to South Africa. It's literally about two, three weeks before I have to go to the Navy, and I'm trying to do a couple of runs, and very, very challenging. I think 10 minutes, and I was completely, like, exhausted. And uh, and eventually it was kind of just gave up on that notion, and it, it, I was just going to get fit then, and, and I was still kind of dragging the past behind me, didn't know what I was going to do for my life, where I was going to go. I had a lot of emotional volatility, no clarity, believed I was academically extremely poor. I didn't feel I had uh, any kind of cognitive aptitude whatsoever. 
So I remember this, the, there was uh, this day where, you know, everyone had to meet in Pretoria. It was, it would take, they were all collectively taking a bus. All the candidates were taking a bus down to Soldana. It was, uh, I think, 14, 16 hour bus ride. And I arrive at the bus station and I just look around and I see 30 of the fittest people I've ever seen in my life. And I'm, I'm kind of, I've got this wild hair and I'm, uh, carrying a little bit of extra weight and I'm thinking, geez, I, I must have missed the brief. And it was that point that I started stressing and re- realizing the context, you know, what's, what's gonna, gonna follow from this. And, uh, I probably didn't like sleep uh, minutes on the bus or, or relax a minute on the bus, just kind of worrying, um, as to what I was, I was facing underprepared. And uh, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. And that's the reality. So I arrive in, I arrive in Soldana and, um, it's pretty tough. You get off the bus and you start running immediately and within second you're green and you're vomiting and, um, and that's the, the whole bus. But I mean, that's including the, the fit individuals on the bus. And I have to say it was probably the, the toughest period that I've experienced, um, throughout my life. The, the first few weeks of basic training, it was, I was so underprepared psychologically, emotionally, physically on every plane, on every level. And it, it was really something I, I struggled with. I was grappling with. I struggled emotionally um, with the challenges that I was confronted with. Always at the back of the line, um, and I just wanted out. Every every opportunity I, I could get to try and like motivate uh, an exit from this environment, which was never going to happen. Uh, there's no ways you can get out of national service. Um, I would try and motivate it, but that kind of uh, failed, and it was just against uh, brick walls that I kept hitting my head. And then what happened was the days passed and, and I, kind of more activity, getting a little bit better at, at the activity. Uh, I found that, you know, being outdoors uh, started feeling a little bit better. And, you know, the, the whole dietary plan and, and process, it was quite structured meals and, and everything started feeling a little bit different um, at a certain point. And around five or six weeks in, um, my psychology changed quite dramatically from waking up every day saying, I can't do this and this is impossible and this is so hard. I remember walking on the parade ground. It was a, a day, it was a Saturday and there was a rugby match on and everyone was kind of watching the match. It was one of those infrequent days off and I was just walking across the parade ground and I was thinking to myself, look, I'm not going anywhere. I'm, I'm starting to feel quite empowered in this situation and I'm going to change my attitude and, and change this narrative. Uh, I'm not going to see it as something that I resent or something that I find overwhelming or difficult. I'm going to see it as, as just part of, it's part of the context of my life. And that, that day I made a decision, but for, for some reason and somewhere I found the strength too. I, I found that I, I suddenly became more adaptable and I found that I, the lights went on. I became cognitively much clearer. I became more focused. I became far more, motivated i became mentally much stronger and from being at the back of the group in in group uh, training sessions uh, which are very physical i mean i won't describe some of the events but they're pretty physical um i started ending up in the front of the group and this progressed and progressed and what happened was that turnaround point was around five six weeks and the turnaround point basically lasted the rest of my life because from that point onwards, I became completely passionate about physical activity, about natural environments, about augmenting environments, about the foods that I ate, the supplements I took. And I had a passion, developed a passion for sports science, which I went on to study later in life and further on. And I studied many other things following that. But, but it was that, that turning point and I never understood what it was. What, how did I find that strength in that moment? How did I change the narrative? How did I adapt at that point? Now, 
The interesting thing is that I didn't understand why and how for many years. I, it was just an exception. I found that if I exercised regularly, I'd be clear. And if I ate the right foods, I'd be focused. If I lived a healthy lifestyle, everything would fall into place. I didn't understand mm. it. My understanding of why and how came many, many years later. It's when I was researching my book, The Stress Code. And The Stress Code was really a narrative about the, the ultimate stress management model. How do you cope with stress effectively? How do you thrive in stressful situations? How do you become the best version of self in difficult situations? And there's four parts to the book. The book really centered on the psychological approach. And, and what I talked about earlier was reframing, that shift in mindset. Talked about the power of reframing. I talked about the, the connections that are so important. And that's one of the things that was really strong in, in doing national services that you develop these very strong bonds and friendships. When you go through difficult times together, you really connect with people. Um, but I also talk about controlling the stress axes through meditation and those lifestyle adaptations. And then finally, it's all of the physical pieces that come together that make us stronger during stressful events, the exercise and, and the diets and so on. But there was one thing that kept coming up time and time again, and it was a protein, and it's a protein that really is the center of this narrative today, and that protein is known as brain-derived neurotrophic factor, BDNF. Say that word again, brain, brain-derived neurotrophic? neurotrophic factor. Wow, okay, now we know what BDNF stands for. Uh, if you'd like to join this conversation, 34519. Our telegram is 061-895-1019. We're going to go for a short break, and we are really now going to understand this very important protein. This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show with Adol Kosilski and Fagy Stern. We are going to get stuck into the meat of things now. Uh, Richard, the floor is yours. Uh, thank you. Thank you. So I'm not really, you know, up until this point, I just realized that lifestyle practices and health practices are powerful. They change realities. They change the way we think and the way we behave and the way we feel about the world. And, and really, our potential in life is strongly linked to health practice. But I didn't understand why. And as I was saying, when I was researching my book, The Stress Code, there was this big, this fourth chapter or this fourth part, which is actually chapter eight. Um, that, that talks to all the health solutions that provide protection in stressful situations and can amplify potential in stressful situations. And the one thing that kept coming up time and time again was this brain-derived neurotrophic factor, this BDNF. And what it is is it's a part of a family of proteins that is largely responsible for new brain cell formation, brain cell maturation, brain cell retention. But one of its most important features is that this molecule, along with some other molecules, other neurotrophins, builds connections um, within the brain. And you can liken these connections to having a new hard drive or new software that can get updated all the time. In fact, there was a study um, by a Harvard professor, John Ratley, where he took BDNF, this, this particular protein, and he immersed brain cells in a Petri dish in BDNF and looked or observed um, what the outcome was. And what they found was that when brain cells are immersed in BDNF, they sprout new connections in the same way um, they would when we learn a new skill or a new task. It's almost like fertilizer for our brain. If we, we look at that, I was talking about the structure, uh, structural or morphological characteristics, but if you look at the effects in terms of our life and, and how it uh, can augment our, our well-being and, and our reality, 
BDNF promotes IQ. It enhances memory. It augments reading and the retention of information. It has a central influence in cognitive ability and cognitive potential. It's largely responsible for creativity and innovation. Um, it also is really, really kind of influential in agility, mental agility and creativity and innovation as, you know, that just was kind of supporting that, that statement I said earlier, that innovation is that central uh, theme that or central nucleus around which uh, brain-derived neurotrophic factor acts. So this is this powerful molecule that really shapes um, a powerful reality. Now, one of the, the biggest um, or, or most negative or detrimental uh, elements um, in this, this entire biological set and neurochemical set that's, that is largely driven by brain-derived neurotrophic factor is the experience of stress. So when we experience stress for a protracted period of time, uh, five weeks, six weeks, seven weeks, and we're now in a year and a half almost, we would see traditionally in most individuals a 40% decline in this molecule that promotes our creativity, promotes our IQ, it augments our memory, supports our readings, like every functional characteristic that we hold dear and what we believe is important that is, is literally driven by this molecule. And when we experience stress over a prolonged period of time, um, it really destabilizes this axis, 40% decline in this powerful, powerful molecule. Now, how that translates is it re promotes anxiety, it promotes low mood and depression, it creates reduced adaptability, reduced mental agility, erratic memory, reduced expression of cognitive potential. It also really is a trigger in compromised reading and compromised learning. And this whole thing was starting to wake up. This, this whole narrative of my, my youth was, was making sense all of a sudden in that I was exposed to very stressful um, home home environments for, for financial reasons and some other reasons as well. And it had its challenges. And I basically lived with an undercurrent of stress. There was this relationship between BDNF and cognitive and academic and learning potential. And it stands to reason that I had this decline and that was part of this the struggle um, that, I, that I was experiencing and also part of the mood instabilities that I was experiencing um, and so on. And it really started falling into place. But the big turning point in, in my understanding was the levers that we can pull on in order to change this reality, increase the release the transportation and uptake of this very, very powerful protein. And it really sits within that lifestyle continuum, continuum being from exercise to diet to environmental controls to nutritional supplements to pretty much everything that, that we choose to surround ourselves with in life. The biggest and most influential factor in the expression of this protein happened to be exercise. Um, and this really started like uh, touching or, or kind of really connecting with me in terms of that was that turning point, that five, six week mark into national service. Everything woke up. I started feeling clearer. I started becoming academically much more proficient. Uh, reading became easier, emotionally much more stable, much more driven, much more motivated. Everything transformed in response to the regular exercise. Now, what research has shown is that if we perform a moderate intensity aerobic exercise session, we run, we walk, we cycle, we swim, um, we do different classes, aerobic classes, 
um, we hike, we play tennis, we play soccer, whatever it is, a moderate intensity single session will create an increased expression of this molecule by 30%. And this is in a very short period of time, within a, a period of like 18 minutes, this is what we're going to see. But the biggest advantage is consistency in this regard. So there, there was a, a very powerful study that it looked at regular exercise over a protracted period of time, over a three-month period of time, and what would happen to the levels of brain-derived neurotrophic factor and, and how it would affect realities. And what the researchers found is, is that if you exercise every second day, or preferably every day, but every second day for 20 minutes or longer, what you're likely to see is an increased expression, an increased concentration, increased circulation of brain-derived neurotrophic factor by 220% over this period of time. Now, that's a vast improvement. And it's, this is your rest, resting circulating levels. This is not a, in the, kind of a, a spike for a, a single day or for a single hour. This is a consistent trend in, in a very positive direction. But what... Researchers also wanted to evaluate was whether this is sustainable. So if you have been exercised over a long period of time, is all the concentrations of this molecule going to be sustained? If you stop exercising, you get flu for a week or you're unable to exercise for a week, what happens? And it was found that even without exercise for a period of a week or even longer, these levels will remain elevated um, and to, to the extent of at least 130, 140%. And this, this is an amazing thing, just how powerful activity is. And I think if we look at society today and we look at reduced activity in almost every space across across every age group, we're seeing activity diminish. Seated work, and we're spending our days in front of the computer. Uh, if we do exercise for very short periods of time, uh, our kids are not exercising or being as active as they used to. Um, and I think that we are, we, we stand to pay the price for this because exercise from an ancestral perspective, um, an historic perspective has been one of the bigger triggers in our cognitive uh, and emotional development, not to mention our coping mechanisms. But one of, one of the greatest triggers from an exercise and physical activity standpoint um, was identified by a team of researchers in Europe, and it, I think it was a collaboration between Italian researchers and Dutch researchers. And they were looking at intense exercise, very, very hard exercise for very short periods of time. And what they found was 20 minutes of intense exercise will increase your BDNF levels by 60%. And the minute I saw this statistic and the minute I read this paper, I realized what had happened um, within in that Navy experience. What had happened was the intensity and the frequency and the consistency of the activity had almost recalibrated my brain, changed the structure of the brain, changed the connections within the brain, changed my behavior, changed my mood, changed the, the clarity, helped me across every level. And that was the transformative moment. And this was the molecule that had probably facilitated that process. So are you saying that the only way you can – Get this molecule going, like raising level is through aerobic exercise. Not necessarily, and that's a good question because there's many ways in which a lot of us don't enjoy exercise, and it's not going to happen. And whilst I enjoy exercise and become very dependent on exercise for uh, mental clarity, a lot of people are never going to go down that road, which is which is okay. So there's many things that that can can trigger this, and I'm going to talk to all of those things, but. 
it's not only aerobic exercise that is able to promote an increase in BDNF. Um, it's be, there's been studies on yoga. Yoga will increase brain-derived neuro- neurotrophic factor. Um, resistance training has been also been shown. Um, so weight training and, and related activities has also been shown to elevate BDNF, but not to the same degree as aerobic exercise. And that's why as we tend to get older, I tend to migrate more to the aerobic exercise side of the continuum, the exercise continuum, because of the clarity and the focus and the illumination that is provided from those sessions. I'm, I'm completely, uh, I would say, addicted to to the, the mental and emotional effects of exercise, not the physical effects. Resistance exercise, there was, there's been a lot of research and there have been profound shifts in BDNF from resistance exercise that last for around 60 minutes, but you're not going to get a 60% spike from resistance exercise. You're not going to get that, that real transformative element. And if you think about stress, you're going through a very difficult, stressful period in your life and we know that it's the probability of a decline in BDNF is likely to be to the extent of 40%. And if you're exercising on a regular basis, Likely, you're going for a walk every afternoon or every morning, you'll be able to stabilize it to a certain extent because that walk is going to trigger a 30% increase in this molecule that really helps protect us against anxiety, protect us against depression, help us with clarity and creativity and innovation and these important facets. Um, so exercise can be very powerful, but if you throw in one or two very hard sessions um, and you have the physical abilities and capabilities to do it, um, all of a sudden you, you don't have this deficit in stress. You have this positive balance and it, it just makes you cope so much better. And that is the, 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 the truth of the matter is, though, it is it's, it's kind of counterintuitive because as you get older, you're not going to, you know, stick on your sneakers and <clears throat> run three kilometers or seven kilometers around the block like you know, ex- kind of like aerobic exercise really belongs in the realms of the 20s, 30s, 40s. And as you start going 50, 60, 70, you're tending just, I guess, because of there's a lot of factors taking, you know, taking place in your body, your aging and your, your whatever it is. It could be that, you, you know, you, you, you're having illness or whatever. You tend to slow down on those things. You know, it'll be easier to take a walk than for, for, for one to go put on their, their, their tackies and go running around the block. So, in which case, what else could you do to increase yeah. the BDNF? Yeah, so so there's exactly so. Look, there there is that fact, and I, th- I think that injuries come in and health mm-hmm. profile also comes in. And but what you just mentioned, there was a walk. A walk is going to give you a thirty percent spike. So you don't necessarily have to engage in more intense exercise. But to really illustrate this point and how powerful it is, there there was a study on individuals between I think it was sixty and seventy years old, and it was a year study comparing kind of the, the softer forms of exercise, kind of more calinetics-based exercise, which is great, and Pilates and, and those type of exercise, against aerobic exercise and, and looking at brain mass over the year. And what they did amongst us, uh, with, within this group was an MRI before and an MRI during and an MRI afterwards of their brains and then reevaluated it at these different junctions and looked at the effects. Now, from the age of around 55, we lose a percentage of our brain, uh, around 1 to 1.7% of our brain every year, depending on the individual, depending on your genetic profile, on many factors. Um, and that was that was the expectation in the study, is that most individuals are going to lose 1.5 uh, to 1.7% of their brain over the period of the year because of their age group, and, and this is consistent with, with what we're seeing. So they compared groups at the end of the year. Now, both groups have been exercising three times a week. One was more on, on kind of the, the 
bodyweight exercise um, in that bodyweight exercise space and the other was more in the aerobic space, whatever was tolerated uh, amongst the group. And what they found was that those who were doing the more conventional exercise, the non-aerobic exercise, uh, not conventional but non-aerobic exercise, they showed the appropriate levels of brain mass loss over that period of time. So what, what was expected was was the outcome. When they looked at the group that was doing the aerobic exercise, they actually didn't lose a single uh, element of, of brain mass. In fact, their brains were completely the same as before they started the project. And the only real molecule that has that potential from a structural standpoint is BDNF. And the link there was was towards the aerobic exercise and BDNF. So my my encouragement within this context is if you can, you should. Um, and there's so many studies showing the value of aerobic exercise three times a week. On It's going to increase your life expectancy by seven years. It's going to reduce your risk of chronic diseases by 44%. I mean, there's, there's plenty of research on, on the value. But for me, the real value in terms of resilience and stress coping mechanisms, in terms of potential lies with this, this molecule and what it can do, um, but it's just one component. It's one piece of the puzzle. Um, and I, I just before I move on to the another section, what the other pieces are, I just want to give you the, the parameters, what's ideal. So what ideal is three to six times a week um, for a period of 18 to 30 minutes. Um, and, and you'll be able to achieve these incredible changes. Um, and the harder you can go, um, the more successful the adaptation will be, not pushing you beyond your, your limits and, and beyond your tolerances is also just an important consideration. But one of the other big influencing factors, powerful influencing factors, was sunlight. Um, and where, where the understanding of sunlight and its relationship to BDNF came in was a 2012 study published in the Public Library of Science, if I remember correctly. And it involved around 2,900 people following them over a year, looking at BDNF concentrations within this group that lived in Europe. I think it was a Dutch study. Um, looking at BDNF concentrations over the year and looking at seasonal variations does BDNF change according to the season? And what they found was that in winter, BDNF levels drop. And there was this hypothesis, which was later proven, that it relates to sunlight. So sunlight exposure is one of the bigger triggers in BDNF. Now, what we see is, in especially, I mean, this is research from Europe, and I'm sure it applies to many countries around the world, is that there's an increased prevalence of psychiatric illness diagnosis in the winter months, which correlates to this decline in BDNF. And um, this is something we, we should be factoring in, you know, and if we can have a greater exposure to sunlight, it can be extremely powerful. But we going into winter now, our sunlight exposure is going to be considerably less. And we, we have to ask the question, if BDNF has a seasonal or a sunlight influence, it's very actually um, related to sunlight exposure, how can we offset that? What can we do in the winter months to to not experience um, the low mood and the lack of motivation, the lack of clarity and the lack of creativity and innovative potential? How do we, we mitigate this? How do we cope better in stress? And I think we, we, we can all testify to the fact that the winter months are tough. The, the winter months are not the same as the summer months. And we think that it's just being indoors a lot more and it's less social and we haven't been social for a long time. But it, and it, in reality, it doesn't relate to that at all. It, it relates partly to that. Well, when I say at all, it relates partly to that. But the, the bulk of 
the influence of the summer months relates to the sunlight and the availability of light, not direct sunlight on the skin necessarily, it's in the retina, um, and what it does to BDNF, which, interestingly enough, affects another molecule known as serotonin. So what I'm saying is that sunlight exposure will create an increased um, surge in BDNF, and BDNF affects other systems of the body. Well, there you go. You could put on a bikini now. You know, I know it's a little chilly outside, but you can help your BDNF that way if that's the easiest way. We're going for a bit of a break. I have another question on BDNF. If you'd like to ask a question, 34519-061-895-1019 is our telegram number. This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show with Adol Kosulski and Fagy Stern. We are speaking to Richard Sutton and we're talking about a little molecule called BDNF that seems to actually affect the entire being. My question to you, Richard, is, is it of any value and can you do it? Could you go and have a blood test to go and see what your BDNF level is, just like you would go for a vitamin D? It's, I think that it's more effective. Yes, you can. So to answer your question, yes, you, you can determine uh, BDNF levels, um, but they do vary during the, the course Ooh. of the day. A, a genetic test would be more accurate in determining um, your BDNF status um, for a number of different reasons, and I'll expound on those. But yeah, you can you can go for a blood test and you can evaluate BDNF. Um, but just to close out on environment and sunlight, so if we can can expose ourselves to the outdoors, I mean, there's there's a lot of research showing how natural environments and being in the outdoor um, or outdoor exposure has a profound effect on mental uh, well-being and physical well-being. And the biggest study I think that really turned the the, the corner in terms of understanding was a study published in I think it was Journal of Scientific Reports in 2019. And it was uh, a study that involved 20,000 people just looking at being outdoors and how it affects uh, one's one's health. And what they found was that there's a threshold. If you can spend 120 to 300 minutes outdoors every week, and it doesn't have to be in one go, it doesn't have to be every day, but that would be the collective. There's this incredible shift in mental health and, and emotional well-being. And what the, the research paper found was that if you can spend, if you're able to spend 120 minutes or more, it affects your menti- mental health very positively and profoundly. If you get to the 160 minutes or more, it has this powerful effect on physical health. And it's not completely understood why um, these natural environments and being outdoors uh, has this uh, profound effect, but certainly serotonin and BDNF um, are strong contributing elements and i think if we're building a routine and we we go back a step we say okay so in order to change my reality what do i need to do you need to exercise three times a week for 18 to 30 minutes um in a, in a style that you that resonates with you the second thing is can i spend a little bit more time outdoors and uh, if you can spend 18 minutes we've got a great winter here we've got a lot of sun sunlight exposure um, or opportunities and if we can spend 18 minutes a day outdoors or two hours on the weekend amazing great you've 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 solved the bdnf problem and you do it consistently and it just creates so much stability in the system but the next big piece in the puzzle is really nutritional supplements. It can be a powerful weapon and doesn't, a lot of the, the compounds that are found in nutritional supplements can be obtained from food. So I'm relating, I'm almost kind of cross uh, pollinating the conversation in, in a sense. But there's a lot of, a lot of nutrients that have 
very strong effects on, on BDNF. Omega-3 fatty acids found in cold water fish, uh, salmon, sardines, mackerel, herring. Um, it has a very strong and influential effect on brain-derived neurotrophy factor. Um, magnesium found in green leafy vegetables, um, specifically uh, if you're going to supplement glycinate or L-threonate, will also um, raise levels of BDNF in a very positive and constructive way. But the adaptogen, there's a class of compounds known as adaptogens that have been used in Ayurvedic and Chinese medicine for for thousands of years, 2,000 years, I think. And there's about 70 different classes of adaptogens. They're plants that live in, in very hostile conditions, Arctic conditions or mountainous conditions or jungle conditions. Um, there's been extensive research for about 60 years on adaptogens, uh, on these 70 adaptogens and, and what they do. And one of these adaptogens is something that we're very familiar with. Um, I think it's become, it's almost pop culture of nutrition, and that is curcumin or a compound that's found in the spice turmeric, the spice that's used in Middle Eastern and Asian food. Um, mm. now, there's been a, a lot of research um, in, in China on, on curcumin and its effect on BDNF and its effect on stress modulation. Uh, there was a, a study that, that really, it, it was amazing. I found that it really changed my views and perceptions and understanding. And it was a six-week study by Chinese researchers looking at stressful experiences and the relationship to BDNF. And as I said earlier, there's a 40% drop in BDNF in response to stressful situations. But what these researchers did over the six-week period is that before um, it was uh, an animal study before the, the, it was a rat study and before the rats were going to, going to stressful situations, sometimes it's for swimming tests and, and things like that. What they did a pre-administration with curcumin and looking at BDNF levels over this period of time. So basically before the stress that you're going to encounter, you have curcumin and what does it do for your BDNF levels, which are expected to drop by 40%, um, consistently over this, the period of the study. Um, now what they found was with pre-administration of curcumin levels of BDNF levels didn't stabilize. They didn't remain at, I think it was 18 um, NG per mole. Um, they actually elevated. So not only did the curcumin stabilize BDNF and not cause that decline, which can compromise our emotional well-being and our uh, cognitive and intellectual well-being, but it actually caused... Sorry, I'm just going to be stopping the uh, discussion for now. It seems that there are sirens again in Israel, which is indicative of a... Rocket attack. I'm going to let you know what it is shortly. Just go ahead, Richard. Yeah. So, so what I was saying was, yeah, we've this this Chinese study over a six-week period of time found that if you're exposed to a stressful event, you know that you're going into a challenging situation, and you take curcumin before it will stabilize your BDNF. This incredible molecule that creates mental agility and adaptability and clarity and helps you read. Um, and it actually will create these these spikes and elevations over a protected period of time. If you do it every day over a period of six weeks, you're going to see a measurable increase in the concentrations of, of BDNF. Would now, you, you suggest can, then a supplement or like actually taking a curcumin, like a turmeric shot? So the problem with, with curcumin is it's very unavailable. From a, from a biological standpoint, it's very hard to assimilate curcumin. It has to come with... Richard? Yeah, so we're back. Okay, so... Um, so what, what we, you're asking about, um, the, the 
turmeric shot versus the curcumin supplementation. So the, the bioavailability of curcumin is very poor. And in order to successfully um, take it up within our systems and have its powerful effects, and it has a lot of powerful effects, I'm, I'm just touching the surface here, um, one would have to, we, one would have to have enablers. Um, black pepper is an enabler. Phospholipids are enablers. Um, so if you're having your turmeric shot and the turmeric shot's got uh, black pepper, or you're having your turmeric with eggs or something like that, great. And I, I would encourage that on a daily basis. If you're not able to do that or not prepared or willing to do that, um, then I would suggest uh, a bioavailable supplement. But just to close out on this one study, what really stood out for me in the study is at the end of the study, the the researchers, their position statement was that curcumin consumption prior to stressful events was as effective as common antidepressants in preventing stress-induced depression. I repeat that, stress-induced depression. Um, and that's, that's a very big statement for the research team to do that. What, what happened from the study was another study, just looking, um, also a Chinese study um, over an extended period of time, looking at curcumin administration, not before stressful events, but literally in the throes of a stressful event. Um, and it was over a four-week period. And what they found was that, again, BDNF levels would elevate and would be stable. And it, they also found that stress responses were completely modulated and they compared the effectiveness in terms of modulating stress response to the antidepressant Prozac. And this, this obviously there's, there's a lot more papers that have followed this, but when we look at this uh, from a, a broader perspective, we, we look at resilience, which encompasses so many different systems. Uh, curcumin, of the, the seven systems that really drive our ability to adapt successfully, um, to change, to stand up after getting knocked down, to bounce back, um, to, to really navigate your very difficult and uncertain times. There's seven molecular systems. There's, there's seven kind of neurochemicals and pathways that drive our ability to achieve this, and curcumin actually affects six of them. Um, so wow. that, that's, that's that, quite amazing. Uh, just we're going to go for a bit of break, and unfortunately going to have to wrap up. Just the sirens we heard are coming from the Gaza containment area. Uh, Yad Mordechai, Karen Shalom, Natifa Asara, Nachal Oz, it seems that there still is a lot of action on the Gaza border. We'll be back shortly. This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show with Adol Kosulski and Fagy Stern. Again, we only have a couple of minutes left. Um, it's just been a fascinating uh, discussion as to absolutely understanding what BDNF does. Um, we didn't touch on the genetic side. We've got maybe two minutes. Richard, do you want to just mention um, what role that plays? Yeah. So, so this this is. I, I just want to um, with the the two, if you are going to supplement with turmeric, uh, turmeric uh, and or curcumin, I just want to give some some parameters in terms of dose. So, um, ideally, to have a positive influence, you need about 500 uh, milligrams to a gram a day. There are some side effects. Um, it's a bit of nausea, stomach upset in some individuals, and you can't supplement with um, curcumin if you're on anticoagulants or antiplatelet medication. Um, it does interfere. And if you're pregnant so that, or breastfeeding? Um, I wouldn't also. I wouldn't supplement. I would take turmeric, but not um, supplement with curcumin due to the concentrate, concentrated nature of it. So, so I think those are important factors to consider, but. From a genetic standpoint, now this this ties back into my story that that I, that I was talking about and going through a kind of stressful upbringing, um, going uh, seeing this major transition come with lifestyle. 
Now, what I discovered much later in life, literally about three, four years ago, is that when it comes to my expression of BDNF, I'm actually an underproducer. I actually underproduced by 25% due to a genetic variant. There was, uh, it was compounded. So a lot of the challenges I experienced when I was younger was compounded. So the stressful environments, much the same as kids are exposed to today, combined with this genetic variant where I underproduce BDNF meant that in order to actualize my fullest potential, what I would have to do is really support the system, which I did later in life. And I became extremely cognitive, cerebral, academic, agile, everything that I lacked when I was younger, I gained by just modifying my lifestyle. The final, final piece of this puzzle is diet, though. Diet is extremely powerful. If you're having blueberries on a regular basis, it will spike BDNF. If you're having cacao or dark chocolate, it will spike BDNF. Green tea will spike BDNF. Olive oil spikes BDNF. Black pepper spikes BDNF. If you're generally not overeating or overconsuming carbohydrates, it will spike BDNF, but the most powerful, powerful trigger. So one of the most powerful, powerful contributing elements to the stabilization of this influential molecular system is caloric restriction or intermittent fasting. Basically, you skip breakfast or you skip dinner uh, a couple of times a week. And there was a, a Japanese study that looked at six weeks of intermittent fasting and what it did to BDNF levels and, and how it expressed itself in the brain. And what they found was that skipping a meal um, a few times a week, several alternate days, I think the study was, increased BDNF levels by 500%. Now, that wow. 500% means you are just opening up your potential in ways that you would never have believed uh, were possible. Richard, that's absolutely amazing. Unfortunately, I'm going to have to be rude and we are going to have to um, conclude simply because we are going to the news. Um, so just in, in, in conclusion, um, you're saying that, number one, exercise, because particularly aerobic ex exercise, but any form of exercise raises those levels. Um, supplementation, particularly uh, turmeric or curcumin will do it. And fasting, intermittent fasting. And that, that is something that I've been fascinated. I've been practicing um, intermittent fasting for the last couple of months. And I've got to tell you, I do feel great. And I'm starting to actually understand why. Um, perhaps we can get you back on and we can even talk about intermittent fasting and all the benefits that uh, that it gives us. Uh, so as time has run out, um, thank you again for for your for your invaluable time and your incredible knowledge um, in this area. I've picked up the book, The Stress Code. Um, I'm halfway through it. It is a fascinating read and it does give you an insight much much more into your workings. Thank you, Richard, for your time. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Thank you, Faggy, as always. Thank and you, Adrian, uh, Richard. Our prayers and our thoughts are with the people of Israel now who are living through an incredibly stressful time. Go out and do another good deed of kindness and uh, offer up a prayer. And may we uh, see and hear early good news coming forward.